Good morning. Welcome to Liberty Lake Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. Please join us as we prepare our minds for the service. Please be seated while we have announcements. 
Yeah, I guess that's me. Good morning. Good morning. I think most of you know me, but if you don't, my name is Gary Baker. I'm uh, one of the elders here. Not too much to talk about today. Uh, the fireside room is open this morning for uh, service attendance for folks that uh, are not comfortably up without a mask or around people that are not wearing a mask. So we've got that open with screens and bathroom and coffee, and uh, it is a, a place where masks are required and uh, social distancing and will be enforced as, as strictly as we can. Um, there's no youth group tonight. If uh, you were planning on that, that's, that's been can canceled. Are you messing with me? <laughs> All right, and uh, let's see. La oh, ladies' craft night. I better not forget that. Monday, that's, so that's uh, October 26th, a week from tomorrow night. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and uh, Julie is the contact point for questions on that, okay? And uh, I guess since we don't have any sunshine outside, let's, uh, let's make it in here. Let's worship. What? Oh, we, we have another. I am sorry. <laughs> Ms. Joan wants to come up and talk. Well, it's time once again for me to collect candy for Blessings Under the br uh, Bridge for their winter event. So I need 2,000 pieces of wrapped candy. So kind of watch for the sales. There's a tote out in the foyer that you can just bring the candy and just drop it in there. But I'd appreciate any of your help uh, that you, you can do for me. And the, um, the event is probably the middle of December. So you don't have to rush right out, because I know that's what you'll do to get the candy. <coughs> and also, uh, Kids Rock is still collecting hygiene products, and they will uh, put those together in baggies for blessings for the winter event also. And I know this year, the way it is, people really haven't been traveling. But if you have any of the small uh, travel uh, shampoos, hand lotion, whatever, if you'd uh, bring those in, and there's a tote out in the lobby for those also. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Joan. All right, let's uh, let's stand and worship.
And yes, we have a smaller group today. So thank you for singing loudly with us. <laughs> quaked before moved by the sound of his voice seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it all Well, it is well. 
Lord, we thank you for this day and for these people and the opportunity to be together and worship you and hear your message. We pray that you give Shane the words that we need to hear this morning. Amen. Yeah, kids, you are dismissed. As long as you're the right age. See you, Junie. You know, every one of us wants to do that sometime leaving a meeting, don't we? When they tell us we're supposed to go and do something else, and we're like, I'm going to make a scene. Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you downstairs. I was going to try and have them like make a sound or something, see if we could hear them, but We've kind of tested that, and it doesn't work. So you guys can make as much noise as you want, and we won't be bothered. Isn't it funny? You know, I, I got up here and I looked out, and I thought, man, back when I was in youth group, when we were doing youth ministry, I would have been like, okay, everybody gather up front. Let's go bring it in. Okay, that's a little funny. We can't do that now. <laughs> wow. Uh, man. You guys ever been in the process of doing life studying scripture and you're reading a text and you're like, okay, this is going to be great, and you have a plan for what you think you're going to do, and then you start reading it and God kind of goes, hold up, I need to talk to you about something else? It's still in the text. We're not not leaving the text that we're in, um, but I think when we get done with the text this morning, you're going to realize we only we only addressed like the first 10 words in the verses that we're going to look at today. And I, I hope you'll see why um, as we get into this. Um, but we're, we're looking at the Passover, right? In Mark chapter 14, the disciples are getting ready uh, to actually prepare for uh, taking the Passover meal or, or preparing and, and serving the Passover meal uh, together. And I thought, man, this is how amazing is it that next week is communion? So my plan. This is my, my plan. I went into the text this week thinking, okay, I need to, I need to find a way to make this a two-week sermon so that, uh, not next week, next week's not communion, it's the week after that. See, that's my plan. There's my whole plan is just blown up. No, it's not true. I, I actually looked at my calendar and it works. So I was thinking in my head, man, if I can make this go two weeks, then, you know, come November 1st when we sit down and do communion, we're going to be right at the communion at the Passover with the disciples when Jesus sets all this stuff up. And I thought, that's a great idea. And so I got in and I started reading the text. I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. We can, we can extend this two weeks, no problem. Um, because you got all kinds of things happening in the text this morning. you got the disciples who are, who are being told by Jesus to go in and, and, and meet this guy in the room that's prepared, and then he goes into Judas's betrayal, and, and we've kind of talked a little bit about that, and there's some spectacular things that, that, that uh, all of this stuff is happening. And then we get to the Passover um, later. And so I began the process of studying this week, and uh, I'm going to... In theory, if it, if it goes the way I think it will, um, I'm going to walk you through what the discussion that the Lord and I had in the text this week as I was trying to put my head around um, 
what he wanted to say. And so uh, I had a great, challenging, convicting uh, week this week in the Word, and I want to share that with you today. Would you pray with me this morning before we start reading, before we pull, pull all of our thoughts together? I just want to be sure to give this time to him and, and the words that are going to come um, out in our discussion this morning to him as well. So, Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the miracle of prophecy. I thank you, God, that you have held your word, the scripture, together uh, for for hundreds and thousands of years, you have you have built this together, and we're going to look at a specific area of that reality today. That uh, for somewhere around seven hundred years, this text was in place before Jesus showed up. I pray, Lord, that as we do this today, as we wrestle with this truth, Father, that you would overwhelm our hearts with your Word, that you would cause us to come to our worship of you, our, our approach to you with reverence, as Paul talks about, with fear and trembling, because we know who you are in your holiness and your grandeur. God, open our eyes to your word today. Open our hearts to what you're saying and help us be uh, the church that you've called us to be in your name. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read the whole passage uh, that, that we're going to look at, Lord willing, or in, in the next two weeks. Uh, Mark chapter 12 uh, through verse 21. Uh, I'm going to read that whole passage, and then, and then I'll take you, like I said, on the, on the journey that I took this week with him. Starting in verse 12 of Mark chapter 14. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, or say to him and uh, of one another, uh, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Obviously, there's a bunch that we can look at. But So as I was beginning the process, I said, man, this is so cool. We got the communion coming. This Passover process is such an incredible reality um, of the Old Testament, of the Jews, and it's an important thing that we recognize in Jesus's life because as he's coming to the Passover, uh, he actually uh, tells his disciples, and we'll see this as we look at communion shortly, he, he really ties his life and his death to this particular celebration. So I thought, man, the first thing we need to do is we need to be reminded of what the Passover was. Isn't that what you guys are thinking? 
We need to go back and look and see what, re- what was going on with the Passover. Why was it such a big deal? I mean, here, here they are, uh, you know, generations later, and the disciples are coming to Jesus. Where do you want to do this? Where are we going to do the, the Passover lamb? Where are we going to do this festival? It's a special, very particular, important aspect. Let's not forget that they've been uh, under quite a bit of persecution at this time in, in and around the, the high priests and the, the, the scribes and that whole city, uh, the scenario. So this festival is so important that they're not going to skip it even though they're in great conflict and and probably under some kind of watchful eye of the high priests and the scribes looking for a way to betray Jesus and and to actually capture him and kill him that we learned from last week. So turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter chapter 12. We're going to read a little bit. Uh, It's kind of a long passage, but I, I really feel like we need to capture Um, what's happening for the Jews, and there's several key points in here that I think will stand out as we go through it. Exodus chapter 12, it begins in this process right after the, the, the plagues that came upon Egypt and all of the things that God was doing, and he's bringing his final plague upon the, the nation of Egypt at this time. And he's saying to his children, Israel, this is what's going to happen. And, and then he begins to give them instructions about this Passover feast and what it's going to look like and what they are to do. So uh, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons according to what each uh, according to what each can eat you shall make your count for the lamb your lamb shall be without blemish a male a year old you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month and when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintels of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, the person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but 
what everyone needs to eat. That alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of, the un- of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought you, uh, your hosts, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month uh, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or native of the land, you shall not eat. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Whew. There's a lot there, right? One of the key things that we see uh, God doing for Israel is He's establishing the beginning of their year. He's saying this is such an important thing. We're gonna we're we're resetting your calendar to this is the beginning month. This is the first month of your year. This is the key thing that's going to happen. He's explaining to them the, the, the value of the covenant of blood that happens in the sacrifice, that when God sees the blood, and we know from the stories, they put it on the lintel posts of their doors after the sacrifice, and they, they set all these things up. God said that the, the judgment is going to pass over you. You will be saved from that judgment, and he's going to bring you out of the land. And then he begins to describe this unleavened bread, this feast of unleavened bread, and how important removing the leaven is from their household. So we have a couple of things that we have to see uh, from this particular thing. First of all, the Passover lamb, right? Well, we know from John, as we're looking at in Mark's life, we know from, the, uh, from John the Baptist that Jesus is our Passover lamb. We, we see that in John chapter 1, uh, verse 29. I'll just read it for you so we have it. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here you have Jesus who's coming, this promised Messiah who's coming. John didn't introduce him here as the King of Kings. What did he introduce him as? This Lamb of God who's coming to take away the sins of the world. Um, we see more illustrations of that, and, and we're going to look at it actually in Isaiah. But I think it's important for us to recognize as we're considering Jesus preparing for this Passover meal, the disciples, their focus is on their festival, as it should be. That's, that's what they do, and, and they're faithfully doing that, and it's right. And it, the, the point of that is celebrating what God did for Israel in sparing them from death, and offering them a relationship with him that was exclusive. That brought his provision, his care, his covenant, and a relationship with him. Isn't it amazing? But that's what God did for Israel as he takes them out of Egypt. I got to tell you, part of what I was, I was wrestling through that going, Lord, is that me? Am I like Israel in, in my life? You offer all of this stuff, and then I'm complaining about what the meat is. I'm complaining about the accommodations. I'm complaining about the water supply. I'm complaining about, uh, you know, pesky animals behind me, pesky animals in front of me. I'm com- is that me? When, when we look at what Israel was offered, what, Jesus, what God took them out of, and then who Jesus is as the, the Passover lamb that is provided for all of us, I'm, I'm convicted at times that, that that really is me. So as I read through that text, though, one of the things that grabbed me was unleavened bread, right? Okay, it, well, it did, I grabbed me. 
I'm reading through that going, he is really passionate about leaven in this particular passage. Did you see what happens to the people of Israel if they don't follow through with removing the leaven from their house? If anyone eats of leaven, they're thrown out. It's not that they're thrown out of the tent. They're thrown out of the relationship that God's establishing with the people of Israel. That's a big deal. So what's up with leaven? If it's that good, don't have it ever. That is like us, isn't it, right? If God says, do this much, we're like, that must be really good. Let's do, all, let's do more. Leaven's important. It's a big deal. And, and, and we, need to, we need to take a minute and look at that. And so as I was thinking about that whole process, um, we're going we're gonna to look at that because we're actually going to jump in. Uh, point two is going to be talking about this idea of unleavened uh, bread and, and, and really what we see Paul writing about and kind of translating that, uh, some of those things for us into more of a modern-day application. But I don't want us to miss this idea of, uh, that, that John gives us about the sacrificial lamb, this idea of taking away the sins of the world. I think sometimes when, when I think of um, how Israel worshipped in their sacrificial systems, that sometimes I, I can get a little bit disconnected from how uh, important the person or the, the image of Christ was in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system. Um, but if you look back, and this is, um, you know, it's after Moses, but if you look back to, to Isaiah chapter 53, we're actually going to see the, the part of the prophecy of this coming Messiah, the suffering servant, the salvation that's given from God to his people uh, in this particular passage of Isaiah chapter 53. But it's something too important to, to remember as we're thinking about this. Isaiah was, uh, lived and wrote somewhere around 700 years before Jesus' time. 700 years. Now, I, you know, I mean, if we think about our lifespan, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at 100 years in our lifespan being a pretty significant mile marker, right? People that make it to 100 years old, it's just like, wow. In fact, if we looked at our country, uh, you know, our country hasn't been around for 500 years. We haven't been in a nation. And, and look, at, look at, it feels like it's been like this forever, doesn't it, to you and me? Okay, some of us more than others, right? I was talking with a young man uh, the other day, and uh, it was actually at our conference, and he was sharing with me how one of his sons is just, just, chomping at the bit because it's like dad this is never going to happen and we're both sitting uh, at nearly 50 years old looking at each other going man it's happening so fast and that 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 scope of perspective was really wild but when you start taking into the fact that that the prophecies written about jesus this particular one was 700 years before jesus showed up we got to put our heads around the fact that we can't do that. I can't write something today that's going to come true with any form of guarantee. Well, I suppose I could probably say it's going to rain in the Northwest. I could probably, probably even get closer than that with some level of accuracy. But my point being, this is, this is spectacular. That this is written about Jesus, and we see him fulfill it. Look in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, was brought, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And there's many others. There's actually a number more verses in that particular text that point to Christ. But isn't it interesting that when you, when you think of the Passover lamb, the, one, the lamb that is sacrificed, the life that is given, the blood that is applied to the account of others, so that when the judgment of God passes over the land, they are spared. And Jesus was prophesied as being that lamb. John recognized him as that land who takes away the sins of the world. In fact, we see even uh, more of that written in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, verses 11 through 14 tells us this, and, and I love this because this particular passage actually gives us the imagery of the, the, the tent or the tabernacle of the Jews, um, which would have been what, where they worshiped God and what they carried through the desert in this relationship with God as he was, took them through the wilderness and then into the promised land, all the way through David's reign. They were using this tent, this temple, uh, or the tabernacle to worship God. And uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through, um, have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeemed them through the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Redeemed them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Here the person of Jesus is tied. I love how Hebrews does it. They actually tie him back to the tabernacle, the, the place of worship and the sacrificial system. And that through Christ's blood, through this perfect blood, um, we have the promise of eternal inheritance, that we're being made right through that. That's the sacrificial lamb. That's the Passover meal that we're preparing to go into with Jesus and his disciples um, here in the next couple of weeks of our time together. And so as I was re- looking at this Passover and I was wrestling with this going, okay, so this is the Passover and, and there's more to talk about it and it's amazing, but what, why the unleavened bread? What was so important about the, the imagery of the unleavened bread, about removing leaven? I, I, I want to do this illustration sometime, but I've been told by people that know what, they, what they're doing um, that it won't work. Um, and so what I would really want to try and do sometime is to get a lump of bread and have two of them, two lumps, and have one with leaven and one without, and let them try and rise during a sermon. Um, one, I don't know if it would take too long. I think, I think that's the problem. Some of you are not, see, I don't even know what I'm talking about. But it would be a great illustration 
It'd be a great illustration. I grew up, my mom, we used to make bread, and we used to have leaven, and we used to let it sit. And I remember a couple of times we got in trouble because it turns out if you and your brother are wrestling next to the table or countertop or uh, even the fire hearth, I found out that when we go crashing into that and you bump the bread basket, it stops like the leaven. Something pops and goes, and turns out you get in big trouble for that. Um, But watching leaven grow and watching a lump without leaven not grow, it's a profound, amazing thing. It it really is a pretty amazing illustration. And when you think about uh, Israel, this was a common practice for them. They they baked, they made their breads like this. A regular way of cooking and preparing food um, would be killing an animal and and, and preparing the bread and doing all this stuff. It's not it's, it's not a special event that they're going out to slaughter an animal. I, I suppose for us, that would probably take a little bit of getting used to if we had to actually go back to killing an animal for all of our meals. But the leaven process, they would see, they would see it regularly. They would understand what it's doing and how it works. Paul incorporates this illustration in 1 Corinthians 5, and we're going to read a couple of verses there. And, and I just want to share with you, this was not where I was planning to go. Um, but as I was wrestling with unleaven and the, the, the leaven in here, and why was God so insistent that nobody allows leaven in the tent for the whole week that they remove it, I believe Paul gives us a great application to that right here, and I kind of don't like it, um, but I know it's important, and so we're going we're gonna to read it, and um, I believe that the rest of our morning will be dealing with this particular passage in the application of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated, even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are, uh, wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, and with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is, not those in, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Oh, I gave one extra verse, sorry. 
I, I, you guys, do you under, I don't even notice that, I guess, at times. I've, I've been told that from now, now and again, I just keep reading. So I, I apologize um, if that's a distraction to you. You know why I went, why this grabbed a hold of me? It was because in my personal reading this week, I've been in the book of Hezekiah. Yeah, it was, it's been awesome. You should join me and then read that sometime. Um, it's absolutely amazing. And I'm reading through Hezekiah, and I won't give you the reference, and that way Ryan won't try and get it put up here because we're not going to read it this morning. But I'm reading through Hezekiah, and we're taught there, he's sharing this account of the exiles who have found the Word of God, and they begin to read the Word of God, the law of the Lord at the time, and they, they come undone by it. They, they end up putting sackcloth and ashes on and, and putting dirt on their head, and they're in mourning. They spend an half of a day, an entire half of a day, from, like, from sunrise to noon, reading the Word of God to the assembly of people. How many did show up for a sermon like that? Six hours of reading the Word of God. And you know what their response to this was? He says later on in that passage, I think it's Hezekiah 9, it's somewhere in there. He goes, so they're mourning, they're confessing, they're repenting. Well, the next day they get up and they spend a quarter of their day reading the Word of God again, and another quarter of their day in worship and confession. The, the, the people of Israel, as they come before the Word of God, they come before God Himself, they realize that they haven't been following His, His teachings, they realize that they've been violating the Word, and they mourn and they lament they repent, they confess, they have this incredible time of repentance. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this idea of unleavened bread and this idea that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians about removing that from our lives, about addressing this reality that the leaven that is left, the, the, the desires of the flesh, the things of this world that will permeate our hearts, that will capture uh, the, the, the passions and desires that we have, how easily they grow and how pervasive they are. So the reason that it, I think that it grabbed my heart so heavily this week is because I was reading in Hezekiah and God was really working me over on this idea of am I responding to his word the way that the Israelites did? And you can take that on both ends. You have them where they repent and they turn back to the Lord, and then you have them where they rebel and reject. Isn't it interesting when you read in, in that passage, he gives us you know, things that none of us have issues with, greed, idolatry. I thought it was interesting that he actually says revilers in the text, and, and that's a weird, I just thought that was kind of a weird translation for the ESV, because if you go into the, uh, the Greek, it's actually slanderer. Um, and when I went and looked it up, it, it has this really cool description. It's one who attacks the reputation of another by slander or, or um, libel. And I believe the, the definition, the difference between sand, uh, slander, and I think it's libel, at that, or libel. I don't know how to say that word. I've never used this. But it's basically a written slander or a verbal slander. That's the difference. You're, you're tearing them down or attacking their character with some kind of falsehood or some kind of bad accusation. Um, that's meant to do harm in either written form or, or oral form, verbal. Well, we never do that. So there's nothing in that verse for us to worry about. I just think it's interesting that as we run into, the God, into God's Word, how, how easy it is for me to look at this stuff and go, I don't do that. 
So I'm good. And yet when Israel came into the process of the Passover, when he set up this this event for them, he said, get rid of it altogether. Don't be anywhere near it. And then we see Paul tying it. Did you notice how Paul in 1 Corinthians ties it back to the sacrificial lamb? He tied it right back. The Passover lamb has has been offered in Jesus. In fact, it's so amazing because we are actually new lumps. We are unleavened if we are children of God. We actually start out that way as his children. He has made that a reality for you and for me. What does it mean then for us to be unleavened? Look at uh, another passage that I think Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. Isn't that funny? He's writing to all these churches about this issue. You know, 1 Corinthians was like the flagship of the, the uh, early church, right? They had, they had probably, if we were really honest, they're probably the closest to us as far as just the issues that they had with the people and idolatry and sexual immorality and all the messes that they had in their church. Second Thessalonians, he writes uh, this to the Thessalonian church in 3, uh, 13 through 15. Second Thessalonians 3 says, And for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. I don't know if you guys noticed in this text, in, in the last two texts, but Paul has, Paul has this thing about addressing people in our churches, in our congregations, who are continuing in sin, who are persisting in sin. And there's a, I hope you're feeling the tension at this point, right? Because, and we're going to look at a passage here shortly, Um, I believe I have it in there, Uh, but it it talks about uh, the the judging of one another and how we're not supposed to judge one another. It's actually Matthew 7, which we'll be there in a little bit. Um, But we have have in Scripture, we're told not to judge one another. We're told to take the, the log out of our own eye, and like I said, we'll look at that in a minute. But Paul has this real intense view of allowing ongoing unrepentant sin to remain in the church, to remain in the fellowship. He associates it with the cause of leaven. Um, in fact, uh, this is really great too, because if you read in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, he says, if anybody does anything that's not in this letter, so you guys got to go back and read 2 Thessalonians now so that you know when to kick me out. Okay, that was a joke too. Come on, you guys. I mean, you got to go back and read it, right? He just said, if anybody doesn't do what's written in this letter. So it's important that we know what it says as well. I love the fact that we are in Christ as his children. We are new. We're new lumps. All of those things are true. Paul is addressing this issue of ongoing sin in the church because it's an issue, because it's a reality. You guys hear from me more often than I would like to honestly admit that I struggle with bad attitudes and sinful heart and, and, and brokenness in my own life. And it drives me nuts. One of my good friends this week um, came forward and, and, and confessed a, a, a tragedy in his own life that God has restored him in, and it was just awesome to watch. And he did it in front of a bunch of peers. Um, 
which is really challenging, especially in a you know pastoral ministry. In fact, uh, he ought, he he set the stage by saying, "I'm going to break a bunch of rules today. I'm going to tell you what happened." And it was awesome to watch him minister to a bunch of guys and a bunch of people in ministry that um, there's probably a number of them who didn't think it was okay to be that honest, who didn't think it was okay to actually uh, share the truth about the, the transformation of God in our lives. But I believe that what we should take from this, what we should take from the whole, the emphasis of leaven in, in, in for Israel, the emphasis of leaven for Paul, the emphasis of, of removing evil from within the church, the addressing of that, is that we need to take sin seriously. We need to take it seriously. That's why I titled the message, Stop Tolerating Your Own Sin. I wasn't sure what else to say. Um, so, I think that's what we're going to look at. First so, uh, John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You know, if there's something like that written in the text, how many of you guys know First First John one, two, and three really well? I would encourage us to consider maybe reading this book. If one of the things that he's writing to us for is so that we may not sin, right? It seems like it would be a great idea. Continuing in verse one, he says, "But if anyone does sin." We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that word propitiation, that the, the, what that word means, it's the atonement of the Old Testament, but it co- covers, it pays for, and deals with the wrath of God and the wretchedness of our sin, and it makes us righteous before God. That, that's this idea of propitiation. Jesus Christ the righteous is our propitiation. He's our advocate before the Father, and he goes before him when we are dealing with our sin. The problem is, when we look at this, the reality of what John is saying is that if we really are of Christ, if we really do love Him, then we're going to do what He says. Yay! Well, what happens when I don't? That's the, that's the angst in my heart in this. I mean, the beauty of it is, right, is that, that we don't have the same covenant that the Jews did. When the Jews were caught with leaven, they were kicked out of Israel. That was what they're supposed to happen. I think if you look back at their history, you see that they tolerated sin as good as we do. But the reality is, is that what John is saying in 1 John is that if we really are His, if we really claim to be His, we're going to walk like Him. We're going to look like him. And that's part of what Paul was wrestling with with believers. He says, if you claim to be a believer of, of God, but you continue in sin, you, you, you choose to ignore sin and continue to walk in it, then you are part of what needs to be removed. You're part of the leaven, and it needs to be removed from the body so that it does not infect and cause others to do the same thing. 
course, in all of these discussions, you have to look and be reminded of, of just the brutality of the flesh of our, of our hearts. And, and I think it's so important that we don't shy away from seeing these realities. Because, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago that God, Jesus loved Judas knowing his heart. Jesus loves me knowing who I am and knowing my sin and paid for all of it. But I should still look at it and see it for what it is because as soon as I start polishing those things up, as soon as I start making them less despicable and less horrible than they are, I'm diminishing the grace and the sacrifice that Jesus paid as 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 the Passover lamb. And I think it's incredibly important that we keep in front of our eyes the painful reality of what our heart looks like unchecked from the Holy Spirit, what our heart looks like when the desires of the flesh have a hold. And if we're going to really take sin seriously, then we need to be able to look at these texts and say, God, where am I in this place? Where am I missing it in my own life? What things have I began to tolerate that you will not? Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissension, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, road rage, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word do in there, that, that those who do, it's, it, it can actually be translated, those who make a practice of or, or continually do, it's, it, it's, it's not the idea that you're going you're gonna to have a bad day and, and blow a cork and say something dumb or, or you do something like that. It, it's not that, that those things happen. It's when it becomes something that we've excused, it, when it becomes something that we go, well, that's okay, it's okay if I behave this way, and we, and we stop addressing it. We stop seeing it the way that God sees it. And we find ourselves not confessing it. Now, here's the challenge, right? We could take this verse. In fact, if you taught these perfectly, you could create a church that only the righteous could be at. It would be empty. The, <laughs> the problem is it would be run by a couple of self-righteous people until they couldn't agree anymore. Because that's what we do, right? We take these kind of passages and we're like, that's right, we're going to purge the evil because if we get rid of all of them, then I won't have that problem anymore. What does Jesus say about that? I love the fact that this is Jesus who says this, not Paul. He wasn't, he wasn't addressing the church. Jesus was addressing this before he even made the sacrifice, before he was the sacrificial lamb. He goes, you guys got a problem. And this church design that I have is glorious, but it's going to be a mess because you all are going to be in it. And you're going to need to understand this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck 
out of your brother's eye. First thing we've got to understand, when it says do not judge, use the measure that you use on yourself, that does not mean that we walk around going, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. Oh, you're all good. So then when I get to heaven, God's going to go, yeah, you were nice to everybody. You're good. That's not how this works, right? Because otherwise he'd tell us in the text, hey, if you ignore everybody else's sin, I'll ignore yours. That's not in here. But it does mean when we approach one another, when we begin to engage one another and be a brotherhood, we should first inspect and assess our lives by God's standards and take a real serious look at them. You see in this, he actually says, we're still going after the speck in their eye. I still need brothers and sisters in my life. Well, some, some sisters, I don't know if you can all deal with my junk, but I know the men can. Come and tell me. I need the specks removed from my eye. Actually, I need the logs taken out, so bring two or three of you. Right? That's the reality. When the sin's in our eyes, it's a log. When it's in somebody else's eyes, it's a speck. The point is, when we're taking sin seriously, we start here. It starts with us. I love this illustration. You guys can do it with me real quick. Take your Bible, your phone, whatever you got in front of you. Um, don't let your spouse do this, because otherwise you'll probably have a runny nose. Um, but you take this and you hold out in front of you. Come on, it's okay. We can do this. Hold out in front of you. What do you see? If you look at if you look at your Bible, your phone, whatever you got in front of you, what do you see? All kinds of stuff around you, don't you? Right? Take that same Bible, same phone, and put it right up against your face. See, this is why you don't let your spouse help you. Now what do you see? It takes up a whole lot more of your vision, doesn't it? That's, what's, that's how we're supposed to see our sin. So often when we're looking at other people, I can tell you all the problems. In fact, somehow I'm so good at this, I can tell you their sin issue when they're behind the wheel of a car. That's how good I am at observing other people's sinful hearts. The reality is, is I believe God's called us to evaluate this in us. You've got to see sin the way I see sin, I believe, is what the Lord is saying to us. Leaven is important to remove from the lives of people because it infects everything and it causes it to grow. When we have sin hidden in our lives that's unchecked, it grows. Before long, it affects others around us. So we're not running around beating up on everybody. But I love what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, right? When we see these things happening, we are going to address them. If we really loved one another, we would address them with one another, but we're not going to do it as if they're an enemy. We're doing it as if they're a brother, somebody that we want to restore, somebody that we love and care for. I saw a sign today driving, uh, driving in. It said, love, um, love is love. And, and on it, they had the, the, the um, LBGT uh, rainbow in, in uh, people. Love is love. And I've been driving through going, but love's not love. Like, it depends on how you define love, right? Because I love Snickers. If I told my bride, I said, baby, I love you like a Snickers candy bar. What does that mean? Yeah, it means it, it's completely selfish. I, that's a ridiculous statement. Love's not love. 
Uh, love is not just not just this blanket thing that we can just say love is love. We, um, you know, if I really love my children, if I truly love my children, then I'm going to do what's best for them, not what's easiest for me, right? So that means discipline happens even when I'm tired, not when I'm irritated. Okay, let's just be honest. It happens when we're irritated. Some of us are children. We're royal pains in the backside. But real love happens because we're doing what's best for the other person. In fact, Christ describes it in such a way that real love happens when we're dying to ourselves for the benefit of them. So love is not love because we, defi- we mess that up all the time. And when we start thinking about loving our brothers, when we love one another enough to actually do what's best for them, when we love God in our relationship with us and we see our sins, it's different than just the, just the simple, small, feel-good thing. It takes more than that for us to be a body of believers as Christ has called us to be, as God, through His Son Jesus, demonstrated His love on the cross. I'm going to finish with Hebrews 10 because it's, it's becoming one of my, just such an incredibly meaningful passage of Scripture for me. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11, it says this, and Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. When we think about removing the log from our own eye first, I think we each need to say this and we need to, we need to begin to wrestle with the reality of, is this true? The sin in my life is my biggest issue in being a disciple of Jesus. The sin in my life is my biggest issue to be a disciple of Jesus. You know what that means for you guys? Not only do you have to put up with me, but the sin in your life is your biggest issue with being a disciple with Jesus. That's what the text says. We've got to address that first before we're even able to really be the brothers and sisters that God's called us to be. Are we going to be perfect? No, we're all in process. We see that here in, in Hebrews 10, verse 14. He has perfected us, yes, but we're all still in the process of sanctification. We're all still being made holy through this process. And the beauty of all of it is, is that that's what we're here for, is to help one another go through that process. That's what's so amazing about it. Do you know that when I love you, I'm loving Jesus? And when I attack or wound you, I'm wounding Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Jesus himself says it to Paul on the road to Damascus. He shows up and Paul goes, who are you? And he goes, I'm the Lord. Why are you attacking me? Why are you persecuting me? He specifically identified the persecution of Paul against the church as being a direct persecution of Christ himself. If you and I are truly the body, then the things that we do to one another, the things that how we care for one another, the way in which we address sin in our own lives and with one another, 
reflects clearly our relationship with the Lord and our view of who He is as God. I think it would be very good for us to take a season in our life to to wrestle with what leaven is in our lives now. What things have, have we tolerated? What sin have we disregarded in our lives and ignored because it doesn't seem to affect too many other people? Got it hidden pretty well. What sin is it that is the biggest problem in your life in being a disciple of Jesus? There's an interesting thing happening in this passage of Mark, and we're going to look at it some more. But Jesus is throwing Judas out. I don't know if you noticed that. But he sends him out before he, makes the, before he takes this Passover meal. And you could say to me that, yeah, that's, it's, all, it's part of the plan, part of the strategy. But it's very interesting when you look at Scripture and you look at the, uh, the process of removing leaven and, and, and confession of sin and what Paul says about getting the leaven out of our lives so that we can worship God, removing that stuff from amongst us. And here Jesus is sending Judas out after all the three years that they've been working with him. He knew he was going to betray him. All of that stuff is true. And yet here, right before he establishes the new covenant in his blood, he sends Judas out. So that's my prayer this week, and that's what I'm going to ask you to pray for. God, what is the sin in my life that I've tolerated, that I have made excuses for, that I have ignored, that's in between you and me? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would overwhelm our hearts with the reality of who you are, you would overwhelm our hearts with the reality of your word, that we would not be able to read Galatians chapter 5 and walk through all of those things that are listed there and casually leave that page and say, Lord, I'm good. You put things in there that I think at some level are a challenge for every human heart. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, that we would respond to you as we see the the exiles uh, in Jerusalem and Hezekiah responding to you, that they would confess their sins, they would repent from their wickedness, and that they would turn and worship you and and begin to follow your word. God, I know we're going to mess it up. I mess it up way more often than I'd like. You have made a way for us to confess. And you have promised to restore us to righteousness when we confess those sins. Even give us the process, remove the log from our own eye so we can help our brother with the speck in there. Lord, that we would be your church, that we would love, that we would, that we would care for one another, that we would graciously offend and restore one another as you have called us to be. Please make us more like you. And uh, take all the glory for anything you do in this place. Take all the glory.
because it belongs to you and you alone. Amen. Please join us as we prepare to go out into the world.
shine upon you until we meet again.